Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. exclude the introduction. This is part three. And, uh, and last week we we're looking at one of the things that, that needs that Paul wanted to emphasize and get across to us is that one of the main enemies of our faith and how we believe, now remember who he's speaking to again, I'm not going to redo the whole introduction, but he's, he's speaking to a young church that had it has both Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers in it, and they're all mixed together, and they haven't been taught anything. Yeah, remember, there's no, this is before Peter comes to Rome, so we really don't know very strongly who any of the leaders were, what they were teaching, how they were teaching it, and so this letter sent from Paul, and they actually had invited Paul, we want you to come, come to Rome. And, of course, we all know, if you know the book of Acts and understand a little bit of your biblical history, that got hindered several times, uh, much to the angst of Paul. And he actually told him, I, I, I am longing, I am waiting to come to you. And then he writes, so he writes this letter to him because they're kind of in disarray. They kind of, they know what, they, they fall in love with Jesus, they're born again. They're alive to God, and they live in a city and a culture of great turmoil. Sound familiar? With, with all kinds of things happening all, all over the city, and, and Christianity faith is something new, and the government's trying to figure it out also. The government's going, wait, they're used to you know different gods and stuff, but these people are saying there's only one God, and it's not Caesar. And suddenly it becomes dangerous. Because you could serve other gods as long as you served Caesar as a god. You, you could have your own, you could have what was known as, I hope this is helpful, you could have a household god. As long as you acknowledge Caesar as God. And along comes this group of people who go, no, there's only one god. There's only one true god. And so you can imagine the little earthquakes of culture and stuff that are happening in the city because this all got discussed in marketplaces and stuff, not in churches. There weren't any churches. A, a church was not a building then. A church was a, a group of people that gathered together. Sounds kind of neat, doesn't it? So churches, you and I, gathering together. And Paul starts unpacking what faith is, who God is. He starts unpacking in their lives, hey, this is what God did. And he does it by doing the whole historical exercise of Romans 1 and 2 and what had occurred for Jesus to come onto the scene. And it, it's, a, it's astounding what, what's found in those first, even the first two chapters. And then we're at the end of... Uh, Romans 3, and into chapter 4. And so I want to reread this together today and point out a couple more things about 
not how we avoid, last week was about seeing what the true enemy of faith is, which is actually self-reliance. And what self-reliance means is this, that I make my relationship to God dependent upon me doing stuff to make the relationship happen. That's what it means to be self-reliant. I know there's a God in heaven. You do, right? I know that he loves me, but now I have a responsibility to prove that I have a relationship to him, to me, and to other people. And so we start doing that within the framework of what's called our flesh. Not all of the stuff about flesh is sin. We've been taught a lot about the, you know, the, the flesh sins. Uh, the flesh does it on its own. And so the first warning that we get after he talks about sinful man falling is not about the sins of the flesh, but actually reliance upon the flesh to have relationship with God. And what he does with, with Romans 4 is he uses Abraham. He, this was so brilliant, you guys. This was so stunning. You know, and of course, it's God. So, of course, it's brilliant. But it's God through this man who goes, hey, Abraham. And, he, and, you know, this had to have happened when he was 13 years up in Damascus, you know, uh, getting the downloads from the Lord. But he's saying, the Abrahamic covenant established Abraham of the father of all who believe. And so he's got Jews in the congregation. He's got Gentiles in the congregation. He's going to say, none of you have the upper hand. Because see, the Gentiles believe they had the upper hand because they weren't obligated like the Jews were. The Jews felt they had the upper hand because they were God's chosen people called out. And suddenly you have a conflict in an early young church. And along comes this crazy guy named Paul. He goes, no, 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 no. Let me explain it to you. And he uses Abraham as the unifying image of what God has done on the earth as a gift to men. By going back to the original promise, I will make you a father of many nations. Can you imagine Abraham? Can you imagine that conversation? I don't know if you've had any like that with God where he makes the big, hairy, audacious promises. Not just, uh, you know, I really like you, but the ones of accomplishment and what's yours. He tells Abraham, look up in the sky. We see it partially now. Can you imagine looking up and seeing the Milky Way? So shall your offspring be. Well, Abraham's about 100 years old. Didn't have any kids. His wife's gone through menopause. They don't have any kids. There were, there's a man in his household that had been designated the heir to everything that he had. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. I look up. See, every time we're down in our lives, every time the sandpaper of life tries to discourage us, what are you supposed to do? You ever gone out at night, 
outside with clear sky and prayed. But here's the reflection. To God, you were one of those stars when he told Abraham to go. Is that not stunning? Every star was indicative of a human that would yield their life to Jesus. It's you, shine, baby. It's you. You're that. There's some place, there's a symbolic star for you. Mine's that great big one that doesn't. No. And you're just meant to twinkle and shine with the light of God. This is an. When you capture these stories, you can't read it dry. You gotta. You gotta grab it and get in there and shove what you used to believe and shove old dried doctrine and shove our traditions all out of the way and say, speak to my heart fresh and new. And let him see what he does. and Let, let him get in there. And that's what he's doing to this church. And he warns them about something. Not, here, here's the funny thing, not what you'd think something completely different. We would pick it up at Romans 3.27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. He's talking about where does our salvation come from? Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Why would he give this warning? Why do you think he would give this warning? Anybody, take a shot at it. Humans love boundaries. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That's how we got, you know, that, not we, that's how the Jews got the Mosaic Covenant. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. No, you won't. The law is perfect. The weakness in the law is the flesh. He tells us later, we'll look at that later in Romans. No, you won't do it. No matter how much your reliance can't be on you to get this done. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, it's actually your faith that establishes the right boundaries in your life. It's faith that establishes the law. Not right and wrong, not how good you achieved it, but by believing. You'll never find the right boundary without faith. You can't make it happen in you. You will, you will tell yourself, how many times have you done this in your life? You'll tell yourself a hundred times, this is how I'm going to respond the next time they say that to me. Come on, I'm thinking, now, husbands and wives are poking each other already. 
or your boss or any situation, when they say that next time, I'm going to, well, let me do Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? We call those triggers, or they got my number, or they know how to push my button. No, it's because we all run to legalism back in our hearts, and Paul's unpacking this to the church and go, you can't, it's not that way. It doesn't work that way. You're being self-reliant to make yourself be different. That is known as, and we'll look at it here in a little bit, that's a work of the flesh, just as much as fornication is. You're trying to make yourself be a particular type of person instead of allowing God to live and cause his character and his fruit to be born into your life. And you can't make fruit. You can only be the branches. You can't, even as a branch, I can't make the fruit happen. It's a work of God. Now, guess this, and he says to the church, so that no one will boast. Where's the boasting? You didn't do that. You're not better than everybody else. Nor are you worse than everybody else. It is God. Now, think of what he wrote later in Philippians. Is God both to work and to do his good pleasure in you? What? You were just made to be a star and shine. Just to reflect who he is. So he goes into chapter 4. What, shall, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Then he goes into this. Now we use that a lot. But we leave off the next sentence. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Paul is giving a huge warning here. And he says, if you think you're trying to accomplish your salvation, and you're trying to do it by cooperating with what you think will make God happy about you in his life, you are a debtor, and it's not grace. It's not the gift that you're dependent on. It's your own self-reliance. If I asked any of you, do you believe that you have to do something to earn your salvation? You would tell me, no, no way, it's by grace alone. Then if I asked you, well, uh, to make sure you don't fall into what's called cheap grace, you better make sure you... no such thing as cheap grace. Grace was always the most expensive commodity in the universe. It will be in your daily life because it means that God's at work in you. That's what grace means. There actually is no such thing as cheap grace. It's never existed and grace abounded from the time of Adam all the way through. We say, well, the old covenant wasn't grace. Oh, yes, it was. <laughs> The same belief that they had were, was empowered by God's grace. 
the same amount of trust they had to show. And that's why he uses Abraham. The same trust that Abraham had is your trust. Aren't you a child of Abraham? I am. Father Abraham. Remember it? And I am one of them, and so are you. Left arm, right arm. But you see, we, we have a tendency. Let's, let's finish here and check this, this thing, and then I want to see why we make this hard. What then shall we say, that Abraham our father is found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justified the godly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, you get to live the same way Abraham did. This is stunning because there's one, this was God, Abraham is my friend. When, when other people outside of Abraham's tribe and family members and stuff referred to Abraham and they did it in this way, this was the saying that they had, oh, well, he's God's friend. Why? Because grace and favor rested on him. His flocks flourished. Uh, he was one of those, uh, he had that King Midas touch. Everything he touched was golden. He could mess up and it would turn to his favor. Don't you want, sort of want that? I want that. I really want that. That even, you know, I mean, he's John Lynch cubed. On Abraham's worst day, when he's selling his wife to not have his head taken off, God's with him. He goes, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. I'm gonna, buddy, you ain't doing that. And he intervenes. You want the intervention of God in your life over and over and over again. You don't want a rule you got to keep that if you don't keep it, it's all over with. Yep, you're going to get, that's what it means to work as a debtor. When you turn faith into a wage, you get it. It's really weird. That's really weird. And so that's what Paul's warning about here. He says, don't turn this back. That's why I talked last week about the debit card. Do not turn this into a debit card. Receive from the Lord all of his bounty. Um, I want to jump ahead. So this is what Paul writes. He looks at this and he goes, listen, this is going clear back to chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's how you prove that you're a Christian. I believe in Jesus. 
end of story. What kind of Christian are you? One that believes in Jesus. I believe God raised him from the dead. He reached in and saved my life and kept me from self-reliance and invited me into a relationship with him. This is stunning. I was thinking about the juxtaposition of marriage and love with this. It's it's really interesting because it's like this. What Paul's warning about is this. It's the position of the why is the best way to describe it. If you're doing stuff to constantly earn your spouse's love, you're going to at some point miss it. All the things that you, I'm going to do this so that she loves me better. I'm going to do this so he'll notice. I'm going to do this so he understands. I'm going to do this so she's pleased with me. Well, that has a portion in it, but that's called works. But if you're doing the right stuff because you found his love, or found her love, it changes everything because one is an action and the other is a response. One is me proving that I love you, my dear, and the other is, oh, babe, I love you from the very beginning. Remember William Wallace? When he looks at this beautiful woman that becomes his wife after he's been gone for years and years. You know, she was the little girl that gave him the thistle. Do you know the story? Oh, you really do need to get beyond the violence and watch Braveheart. You know? And he says, she says, why? And he says, I loved you. Always have. It's like, one of the most greatest love scenes in all of movie movies. That's it's such a picture of the Lord. Coming to a man sitting in the boat. What's he got to say to some grizzled up old tough codger? I love you. Always have. To the sweetest little girl looking at her mommy's flowers in the garden. That's what we're supposed to see. That moves us away from self-reliance, doing to get. Listen, we're all guilty of it. This is why Paul makes this the big warning. You and I, grace people, we do this. We slip right out of faith into works. Just like that. We're good at telling other people how not to do that. But this self-reliance thing is an enemy. And, it's, and through it, we make our Christianity hard because we put the emphasis on us and not God. He wants you to put the emphasis of your faith, of your work on him, not on you. He wants you to do that. We think he doesn't. We think he wants us to do something to show him something. He goes, no, 
Listen, I stopped the whole universe to show you something about me that was the real answer. I came down and I intersected time and space and the whole continuum for you Star Trek fans. Boom. I will pierce it with a cross. It is me and mine forever. And I did it. And it says this, and that's why then we use the fear part to beat each other up with this. He will not share that glory with anyone. There is no other being ever created or ever will be that did that. He healed us through himself. Now that I can become dependent on. That I can have relationship with. What we've really, so in saying this, what we have a tendency to do and how we fall in, the grace people fall in the trap, and how we turn it into a wage is over the issue of obedience. Should you obey? Yes. He even says, I mean, he says it through from old covenant to new. To obey is better than sacrifice. But when we make obedience a work, that's when we lose the very tangible thing. Actually, obedience is a fruit. I say that louder. I can't help myself, it's who I am. I don't obey because I have to. I obey because it's who he is. And he is in my life. I obey not to get God to be pleased with me. He was pleased with me long before I obeyed. I don't even obey because that's who I am. I'm trying to be a righteous man. The minute you do that, you'll slip in. It's so subtle. You'll slip into a works mentality. And then you actually get sort of pleased with yourself. You're doing pretty good here. I'm accustomed nine days. <laughs> Don't even need the sin jar up on the fridge anymore. What money are immediately it goes because it feeds what? The flesh. It feeds our flesh. And then we say we hate. You know, uh, we hate self-righteousness, and I don't want any of that. And then we go overboard to make up for it, you know. Somebody compliments us. Oh, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. It was all the Lord. It was all the Lord. Praise God, brother. When all we had to do in humility is say thank you, and then when we're alone with God, somebody saw you. Somebody saw you. And then I, in dependence with him, I can rejoice with him that he used me. And I was a star that was shining. The other way is hard. That way is delightful and easy. Don't make Christianity hard. And when you try and get it easy for other people, what you have to do is get it easy first for you. And you do that by receiving. Receiving his love over and over and over again. 
when we, and it's this, if you can get this solid down, because this is what he's writing here in Romans 4. When you make it a wage instead of a gift, you'll fall into the trap of being self-reliant. There's Paul's warning through the life of Abraham. And it's monumental because that goes into fruit, the fruit of Abraham's life, you and I. But, but it cuts across everything. This is, this is why I say, look, Romans is so important. Romans is that intersecting book that makes sense out of all this. If you could never read anything else and only had Romans, you would live a life so pleasing to God. To just grasp this, to understand what he's interjecting to us. If we obey to prove that we believe, it's not faith to faith. So this is the second part you have to get on why we make it hard. When I do it to prove, then suddenly it doesn't lead to me believing more. It leads into me following the law more. If I think I did it and I got it, it doesn't lead to more faith. But when you go, Jesus, it's all you, guess what that leads to? More of Jesus, it's all you. That's what he means by at least faith to faith. When you believe, it makes you want to believe. When you do, you're going to keep do-doing. Not believe-believing. And it's just a pile of flesh. That's what it is. And you know, is he upset with you with that? No, but he's got, he's just going, come, come in here. What we don't realize is he's continually inviting. I, I wish I could get beside each one of you. He's saying, come in here close. Come in, come, come gather together. That's why we're supposed to get together. He goes, come in, get close to me. You're out there. On the boundaries, trying to any outie, any outie, any outie, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong. And the human nature says, I love to live by the line because I like to flirt. That's what the flesh does. Flesh is a flirter, totally a flirter. Because in it, we like to, <laughs> I got a root. We're legalists, we're silly creatures. I won't watch all of it, only two minutes. But one second of it is poison and against the law. And when we're legalists, now you'll start marking how many seconds are okay and not okay. Is this making sense? He says, I don't live that way. Live my life in the spirit. And he uses Abraham out of that. Abraham's life was about the fruit of the Spirit. Most of us don't understand that. He got to see, he gets to go down the same journey. Isn't that obvious if we're children of Abraham? He goes down the journey you and I go down. God says he loves him and calls him and then he tries to make it 
so on his own. It doesn't work. He's created a mess. God comes back and says, look, that's not what I promised you. But he doesn't reject him. He proves himself to Abraham. He does not allow Abraham to prove himself to himself. Such a stunning story. The obedience that we see in Abraham actually is the fruit of his relationship of trusting God. That's for him to go. I mean, this is a compelling, um, this is a compelling story to go from, I will be your exceeding great reward, and Abraham's response, seeing that, what will you give me, to uh, Abraham, the promise has come to pass, but I have something to ask of you now. Kill him. see this work in Abraham he learned to live in faith and trust God so it says this Abraham believing that God could raise Isaac from the dead got the wood together and put him on the altar by the way we always get the pictures of it where he's a little kid he was probably a teenager at this point in time maybe even in his early 20s Abraham didn't run him down and throw him down and tie him on the altar Guess who believed with his father? Guess who probably willingly crawled up on that altar and said, let's do this, Dad. <laughs> Stunning. He's over 100 years old. He's going to run down a 20-year-old kid? I don't think so. His son had that same, the faith that his father, he watched as the fruit of his father's life. I see the altar and I see the wood. Where's the lamb? And then there comes that look. God will provide. Imagine looking at him. And the kid understands. This isn't like, what are you saying? He knows. This is such fruit in people's lives. Why did God test him? God test you? Your heart. Didn't need to prove anything to God. God already knew. Abraham had to see his faith at work from the beginning until the end. <laughs> Fortunately, in the thicket, we hear what? <laughs> It says this, Abraham believed hope beyond hope. So that means this, he had human hope, but then he had a hope that was greater than human hope. You have human hope? I do. I hope I don't hurt when I go to the dentist. Most of the time my hope is wishful thinking. But when it's the hope beyond hope, it means my hope is completely founded in God, and I will trust the Lord. Because he has proved himself to me. And that's what it gets him at. You're a righteous man. I want to read, close with reading something to you from, uh, this is 
from Thule and Chivijan, and I wanted to set up the things of why we make Christianity hard and then how to move into the fruit, because that's what this is written for, is to live in the fruit of righteousness. So uh, Tulian writes, uh, this was just recent, September 5th in Galatians 5, and I want you to see the difference between fruits and works. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most Christians, when they read this, immediately begin a kind of self-evaluation. Isn't that strange? How is my fruit? Am I tasty? You didn't write that. I put that in there. Is it the good stuff that Paul lists here, or is it the bad stuff that he lists a few verses earlier? Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, jealousy, anger, and so on. This kind of thinking, and that's why I shared this this morning, which we can fall into so easily is one of the most common mistakes of Christianity. Comparing the fruit of the Spirit with what Paul calls the works of the flesh, it's not comparable. When we do that, we move away from faith and it back into self-reliance. It makes it hard to do. People forget that you can't compare the fruit of the Spirit to the fruit of the flesh because it's the works of the flesh, not the fruit. People confuse fruit with works and think they're the same thing. They're not. Paul is making an important distinction between work and fruit. He's saying that when we work, when we're active, bad things come out. But when we allow the Spirit to bear fruit, when we're in a certain sense passive, and what he means by that is receiving, these good things come out. This doesn't mean you're to be lazy as a Christian. This isn't a let go and let God kind of a thing, but it falls in line with what Paul says elsewhere in Galatians about being crucified with Christ. That's a faith statement. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. He gives us a distinction between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, and that notice that the works of the flesh are the things that we do. That's why it's called work. The fruit of the Spirit looks more like the things that we are. There are less behaviors and more qualities. Interesting. Here's what Paul's saying. When I die and Christ lives, it looks like this. I'm patient. Because left in my own flesh, I'm really not a patient man. Neither are you. You're not a patient woman. But when I recognize by faith who I am, who God made me to be, I suddenly become a more patient person. I don't have to make it happen. If you will, I receive it to happen. I allow it to happen in my life. I'm going to be patient. No, you're not. 
let me reflect all of who you are and live. I want to live in you today, and I want you to live your life in me. Guess what it'll come out as? Patience. It'll make the fruit go. No. Live in Christ. The fruit will grow. Does this make sense? We're, we're garnered this with all. This is the stuff that it's actually easy to do. This is simple. That's why you and I can do it. The other way is hard. I don't want to live. I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. I tried it for 30 years. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live this way. And I'm not trying, I'm not even trying to prove it to you. I just got invited to uh, invite and compel. Say, look, it, it was designed to be easy. Don't get in a ship that says it's hard. You'll be swabbing the deck all day long. You'll get in a ship of grace and swab the deck, and now suddenly grace has become wages for you. Does that make sense? Stand with me. Not making it hard begins with you and your center point with God. Not making it hard looks like this. Christ, live in me today. Be fully alive in me today. That's enough. There's no other prayer added to it. No other, uh, and that looks like, don't add any looks like on it. Just live right there. Christ, live your life in me today. I think it was Hudson Taylor that coined this thing. Christ is life. He, don't want, he want, doesn't want to live in you. He wants to live as you. Can you receive that? He wants to live as you on the earth. Ooh, I can do that. That's easy. Live in me. Live in me. Lord, live in our hearts today, I pray. Let us see that. Let us grasp this simple thing that changes everything. Let us receive it again. Everybody that's had a hard time this week of trying to do it, let them receive who you are. Lord, I, I pray that in the Spirit they would see the smile of the Savior as he looks down on them this day. Not as a defeated entrepreneur who couldn't get the next new person to work and shine the way he wanted. but as the reigning one, the glorious one, the one we call holy, 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 live in me this day. Live in me. His response is, okay, I did that. I do that. I like that. I want to do that more. Let us hear your response into our hearts this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, peace.